Good morning. Today's scripture is John chapter 18, verses 1 through 27. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Jesus, or Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient um, that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoke, spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I, had, what I said to them, and they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said was wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. 
Good morning. Every week we get a lot better, and this is, this is great. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Wherever we are as saints, we gather. It is the house of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this morning. Lord, as Dave prayed this morning, we are all broken vessels, um, wanting to be used by you, wanting to be filled by you. Heavenly Father, the act of preaching is delicate because faith comes by hearing. To the world, it may seem very mysterious, and so is faith. But faith comes through what's going to happen in the next few moments. Lord, I pray that you would use me as just a conduit um, to communicate what you want to be communicated to Redemption Church on January 30th, 2022, in this season, in this, in this year. This is a delicate and sacred moment, and we honor you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As I always, every time I stand before you to preach, I always tell you, James chapter 3, verse 1, commands me as the preacher and the pastor um, not all of us, not many, should strive to be teachers because teachers of the word will be judged more strictly. I stand before you saying what I'm going to tell you in the next 20 or 30 minutes, I will be judged for before the Lord. And if, if you would join me in this dialogue that we're going to have, I would appreciate some amens, as you know. I know you're wearing masks at this point. You know, give me something. Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll dive into this together. This morning, I've titled this sermon, If You Get Jammed Up, Call His Name. If You Get Jammed Up, Call His Name. Let me give you some background. Uh, I grew up just outside of Washington. I, my teenage years were spent just outside of Washington, D.C. in a pretty uh, dangerous area where you come across some unscrupulous, I would say, Characters, um, and in my in my area where I grew up, there were a couple of people in the neighborhood who would always want to not proposition you, but ask you to do certain things, or they would want you to do certain things. By the way, if you need a Bible, let me get that out. The ushers are here to get you one. My apologies. Thank you, ushers. If you need one, that is yours to keep um, from redemption. Thank you. So. Outside of Washington, D.C., there were two characters that I often ran into. One was, let's just call him a street pharmacist, um, <laughs> who was in the neighborhood trying to execute his, his plan. And whenever you, you talk to him, he would always tell you, the last thing he would always tell you is, if the police come, don't mention my name. If anything goes down, you don't know me, I don't know you. The other character in our neighborhood was a guy who, around this time of year, would do taxes, but he didn't have the, he didn't have the qualifications on paper to do your taxes, right? But I was 17, 18, 19 years old, and I really didn't have the money to go to someone else to do my taxes, and I didn't want to get in trouble. But he would do it, and he would say, the IRS comes looking, don't mention my name. I didn't do your taxes. The other end of this is the, the police. When, when a crime was committed, 
they would hand out your card, they would hand out their card, and they'd say, if anything, call us. We're in, we're in John chapter 18 this morning, and if you would meet me there, that would be great. But I want to emphasize that this passage of Scripture, particularly this little portion of Scripture, 27 verses we're going to look at, John is writing and is trying to communicate a specific message. And as a kid, <laughs> when I was reading this passage, I was, man, there's so much here that I could talk about with the church. There's so much here I feel like I need to say. I just don't have enough time. How many of you ever took a bite out of a huge piece of watermelon? Like as a kid, when you took a bite out of a huge piece of watermelon, you know what happened? The juices started draining down your arms. This morning is a watermelon sermon. <laughs> the juices were draining down my arm as I was, I was studying this week, so I would like to communicate. If you can pick me up in, in the passage. So we'll work our way kind of backwards from 27, look at, uh, look at Peter first, and then actually look at the garden first to start off, look at Peter, and then come back and we'll close off at Jesus. In this passage, verse 1 through 3, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, referring back to the previous passage, he went out, to the, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? It's late in the evening. I imagine this scene. By the way, this whole thing takes place at night before it's starts in the evening and goes to the next morning. I imagine in this garden, if you were to place yourself in it, perhaps maybe the moon is out lending its light to the night. Jesus and his disciples were hanging out in a garden, a place that they always hung out. There's all of them in the garden. And all of a sudden, there is rustling in the bushes, I imagine. They can see torches coming. They can see lanterns coming. They can hear voices. The rumble in the trees perhaps startles them. Some writers, uh, some commentators say it could have been as little as 10 men or as many as hundreds of men. As they approach Jesus, the Bible, some Bibles say a cohort of men, some Bible says a band of men. With them in this group are servants of the high priest, the Pharisees, the accusers, and they brought an eyewitness, Judas. It's a situation where the disciples are jammed up. They have come to arrest a criminal, perhaps, a political and religious threat to the society. They are in a jam. They found him. We're coming to get Jesus, and he are with him. We found you. I want you to hold that picture in your mind as we look at Peter for a second. Peter is one of the disciples we know probably one of the, the leaders of the disciples. He's not afraid. In my mind, if you know the Enneagram, I picture Peter being an Enneagram 8. Like, he is just challenging everything, right? When, they, when, 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 when folks show up, when those soldiers show up, he's like, we're not going down without a fight. If you see verse, Peter is, we're not going down without a fight. Peter seems as though right now he is wanting to be brave. He's wanting to defend himself. But let me start at the end of the passage and then work, work forward. If you'll join me in verse 25. 
It says, now Peter was standing warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it again. Perhaps you've heard teachings about Peter, and, and we've seen all these kinds of things. Peter, why would Peter deny Jesus? If he has seen, if Peter has seen all of what Jesus has done, all the miracles he's seen, he's heard all the sermons, he sat through the, the Sermon on the Mount, he has been with Jesus throughout. His reaction, though, to the arrest is very different. While Jesus steps up and says, I am he, Peter says, I, I am not. By, identif by identifying with Jesus, it, it was too much for him. To identify with Jesus was too much for him. Jesus has been given a cup, he describes, and, and he's able to take it. While Peter has been given a cup, he cannot take. It's a bitter cup for Peter to drink out of. I'm going to tell you a quick sidebar. Um, to identify with Jesus at this point is a life risk for Peter. He could lose his life by identifying with Jesus. Some of us, um, I'm already in the crying mode. I was already crying when that last song came, so I might as well go ahead this morning. Um, what cup, if you knew it was from the Father, could you handle? What road could you walk? What suffering could you endure if you knew that this was from God? Let me tell you a story. 1990 was probably the worst year of my life. I, I, we were going through a civil war. My dad is the assistant director for the Secret Service of the country. The country is being overthrown. My dad worked for a dictator. Um, the dictator's name is Samuel Doe. My last name is Samuel, my last name is Doe. They are killing people with my last name. It's kind of like an ethnic cleansing, but with tribal and name. You understand? My, my dad is working for this dictator whom they're trying to overthrow, and our name is Doe as well. So we're in hiding for months. I'm 11 years old, and I'm in hiding, and we, we start to practice um, denying our name. I, my, my sister-in-law, my, my older brother's wife, her, her maiden name is Davis. So I'm practicing. If I get jammed up, I'm going to say my name is Marcus Davis. And I'm going through, and they're testing me every day. Someone will say, hey, what's your name? And one of the adults while we were in hiding, what's your name? And a lot of the, I'm 11 years old, and a lot of times I already know my name, Marcus Doe. It's Marcus Doe. And every time, sometimes I would stumble. And I'm practicing Marcus Davis. Marcus Davis, I, I say this, I want to tell you a story because you may think that you're never going to be like Peter. I will never deny Christ. I would never do something to deny the name. But I was, I was prepared to deny my family's name if it was going to cost me my life. I'll tell you this, and you may not agree with me, but here we are, we're family. If the chance would have come and someone would have asked me, are you a Christian? during that war, and my life was on the line, I probably would have denied it. Am I on your block yet? 
if you think of yourself today, if, some, if, if your life was on the line, would you, would, would you? Self-preservation, folks, is very easy to do. First, self-preservation is our first instinct. See, Peter does not believe that Jesus can actually save him. Despite having seen the miracles and the teachings, Peter demonstrates at this point that because Jesus can't even save himself from the arrest, he probably can't save me. He's ready to defend himself in an effort of self-preservation. He pulls out his knife, verse 10 says, and in an act of violence, he slices off the ear of a man named Malchus. A nerd that I am. It's okay to laugh. That's all right. Um, when I see things like that in the Bible, it jumps out at me. John had a limited amount of space to write things. He didn't have Google Docs with unlimited space. So when he writes, when he says Malchus, this name, is, it, it should jump out at you. He's trying to say something here. Here's what he's saying. Because when John writes this letter, people are still alive who could have known this guy, Malchus. He said, if you don't believe me, we were all jammed up in the garden. Peter sliced off this dude's ear. Go ask him. If you go back, to, if you look back in verse 27, I'm sorry, verse 26, he says, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, asked him, Peter is around the fire after the garden, and he's warming himself, and, and this dude sees him. He said, man, you, I know you. You cut off my cousin's ear. <laughs> and he, 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 eyewitness sees him, and he still denies it. Peter's action in the garden could be seen as very brave. He's defending his friend. He challenged a, a whole cohort of soldiers, right? He's ready to fight. In the book of Mark, in this, same, in, this, in this same passage, in the book of Mark, Mark records that all the other disciples actually scattered. But Peter stays, and he's fighting. He's going to go down swinging. Peter's not a coward, right? He's not afraid, we would think. But this, I would argue, is not accurate. Because this is an act, actually, of self-preservation. Peter is trying to save himself. So aren't we all? Because a short time later, when he gets interrogated, he completely denies Jesus. Verse 17, when it comes to the servant girl, she asked him, aren't you one of his disciples? Oh, no. He got jammed up, and he said, I ain't calling Jesus' name. Right? Verse 25, around the fire, he gets jammed up again. He did not call his name. Right? Peter is jammed up, but he doesn't step up. In his moment to stand with Jesus, he actually flops. I always wonder, and maybe you do as well, what would have happened if Peter had told the servant girl, yes, I know him. There could have been an evangelistic opportunity there perhaps. But we'll never know. This is, I'm, just, I'm just surmising here. You follow me. At the fire, if, if he had said, yes, I'm one of his disciples, maybe the question, the next question would have been, can you tell me more about him? You ever think about that? At work tomorrow, when someone asks you what you did yesterday, I went to church and then church, right? 
In some places around this country, church is cultural, but in some places it is not. So when you go to work and then people ask you what you did for the weekend, and you say you went, to, you went to church, people are like, church? Some of us just kind of avoid the whole topic, right? In some places in this country, people ask you, what church did you go to? And then in some places, like, you went to church? What are you going to say tomorrow? Aren't we all kind of like Peter in a sense? We don't quite openly deny Jesus, but we do little things to kind of skirt around it. Self-preservation is our first human instinct when there is a hint of danger. Peter, like I said, has heard the teachings. He's seen the miracles, right? But he won't identify with Jesus when he knows it will cost him. Here's why I say this. Peter, if all we knew of Peter is this scene and we never hear of him in the Bible again, I would argue, is Peter Reynolds here today? He is. I would argue that not many people will be named Peter. <laughs> if all we knew of Peter, if the last thing Peter ever says is, I deny it, I'm not, I'm not familiar with Jesus, I don't know him, if that's the only last thing we hear about Peter, I doubt if Peter's legacy continues. Here's what I surmise, is that Peter who knew of the miracles, who knew of the teachings, still denied Christ simply because he had not experienced or seen or believed in the resurrected Jesus. Because he is very different when we encounter him later on in the Bible. This is why when, when I see people, when people challenge me about Jesus Christ, I say, yeah, I know Jesus. Jesus is a good teacher. He's a good miracle worker. He's a good person. That's half the story. The whole package is Jesus' life, death, and most importantly, the resurrection. The resurrection. If you haven't encountered and accepted or denied the resurrection, you don't fully know Jesus. Without understanding and accepting the death and resurrection, all of this that we're doing is completely foolishness. If you haven't faced and actually answered and said, yes, I believe that Jesus did rise from the dead when he dies, what we're doing is foolishness. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, if the resurrection is not real, then our faith is futile and we're still in our sins and people should actually pity us for following Jesus Christ. Peter has not yet seen, at that, at, at, in this passage, he has not yet seen the resurrected Jesus. All of us in this room, if you're a Christian, you've been following the Lord for a while, you can probably say, man, God has done some things for me, but yet sometimes I still deny him if I'm really honest with myself. When doubts creep in, if I get jammed up, I'm curious whether will Jesus step up or will I step up? Will you call his name this morning if you get jammed up? See, it's much easier to deny and move on. Living in denial is much safer. Self-protection is much, much easier. Somehow, if I'm honest with myself, Marcus, though, I don't quite fully believe that Jesus has got me, like he's got me. If I jumped, he has me. See, our culture today it's no stranger, it's no strange to know that our culture today is shifting and has shifted from a Christian dominant culture 
to a, a marginalized sense, not in a sense of, of complete persecution, but we have, it, it, we have become a pluralistic society when it comes to religious options. So when you make a decision to follow Jesus, you're actually making a decision to do something that's completely different. You're in a smaller group of people, and we will all get jammed up at some point. Will you call his name? Let me shift back to the garden with you for a second in the scene. Like I said, it's dark. We're back in the garden. Somewhere between 10 and 100 men are with weapons. They're coming to Jesus with torches, and they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. They're coming expecting resistance because they came with force. They're coming expecting a fight in the garden. See, the garden is not a place for Jesus to hide. It's a place that Jesus wanted to be found. He was always hanging out there. Jesus has a following, and he has men with him. He has healed people. He's turned over the establishment, and he is a threat to all the authority, political and religious. It's almost as if they are going to execute mob justice, but they have legal authority. They are walking the line of religious authority and mob justice very keenly. They have Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, to identify him, to make sure we get the right person. Jesus is about to be jammed up. Verse 3, Jesus asks the famous question, who do you seek? Who are you looking for? He knows the answer, right? If you follow the book of John, when people are actually searching for faith or when Jesus encounters people, this is the question he asks them. Who do you seek? The same question he asks people who meet him all the time. He, when he calls the disciples to follow him in, in John chapter 1, he asks all of them, who do you seek? Later on in chapter 20, when Mary gets to the grave and she encounters Jesus, the risen Jesus, you know the question he asked her? Who do you seek? Just to be clear, Jesus is saying, I just want to know who you're looking for. They wanted to get this right. They came expecting resistance, like I said. Who are you looking for, Jesus says. And he answers the question. So we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. I am he. He gives himself up to the authorities. <laughs> I got to share this quick story. <laughs> so as pastors of redemption, when we study passages together Wednesday mornings, we're going through this. So two weeks ago when we were studying this passage, I was actually in person with the rest of the pastors and we're studying this passage. And <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got not jammed up, but I got jammed up. Let's say I got jammed up, right? Um, because this scene came up, and we're reading it together, and we're going through it, and someone in the room says, the Bible says, when Jesus says, I am he, when the, when the, troops, when, when the troops heard it, they said they fell. When he says the words, I am he, and he steps up, he says they fell. It was like a wave of power went out of him. Somebody in the room said, it's kind of like Thor. <laughs> when he puts that, I don't know what that thing's called, somebody knowing the hand, but don't put yourself out there. He, put, he, put, he puts this thing out here, and, and, and me... I, I don't know who Thor is. I, I don't follow Marvel or which one it is. I'm not sure. I, I, so I was brave enough to raise my hands because everybody, some, a few of the pastors knew. I was like, who's Thor? I promise you somebody almost came to check my pulse. I didn't know who Thor was. But the power that Jesus releases is, is like a wave. 
I am he. He's facing death. And he's the same person. He doesn't fear death. In fact, his death will actually save lives. No fight needed. No violence needed. They are stunned by his admission and by his power. Why is he so poised, he says. Why is he so poised, I ask myself. Because he already knows the end of the story. He knows that this arrest is going to end in torture. This arrest is going to lead him down the path that the Father has, has given him, the cup that he must drink out of. It's a part of his mission to be a substitute for us. No self-preservation here. See, some people would argue philosophically that Jesus is actually a martyr, right? Um, he is, he's, he's, a, he's a helpless victim, I read, right? Or he's some kind of courageous martyr, and he's giving his life up. But he's not a courageous martyr. martyr. He's actually a, a sovereign savior. He's an ever-present example of limited, limitless love for us. Jesus is not showing us how to die. He is showing he's giving himself up actually willingly. He's, he's saving us from death. He gave himself over willingly. He knows how the story ends. If you were to look at the reactions of two men, Peter, who says, I am not, and Jesus, who says, I am he, you understand there's a, there's a difference. Now, this passage, we can, we can get confused sometimes. And say, oh, maybe this is a compare and contrast between Peter's reaction and Jesus' reaction. I need to be more like Jesus and less like Peter. But this passage is actually showing some, something more. It's not here to show us that we should be like Peter, be less like Peter, but more like Jesus, right? That's, in my opinion, that's too simplistic. If we start right there, if we stop right there and say, I just need to be more like Jesus, right in a sense, but there's more. This passage is about faith over fear, trust over bravery, Jesus over self-preservation. It is a difference between knowing Jesus and believing in Jesus. All the disciples in that, in, in, that, in, in, in that garden knew Jesus. I'm not sure they believed. Because when they got jammed up, they all peaced out. At some point in this life, you and I will be jammed up. Maybe even this week. At some point, we will cross over from merely knowing Jesus to actually believing in Jesus. In the public square, at work, with friends, with families... And in some circles where it's very unpopular to mention his name, when you are asked, are you a Christian, aren't you a Christian, choose to mention his name. I'm going to close on this note, but I would rather not leave you hanging. I can't leave you with the impression that Peter was a poor example. I must close that loop, I wrote. Jesus Yes, Peter denies Jesus. Yes, he does, right? He, he behaved very cowardly, we would say, in, in an act of bravery. He's actually uh, a coward here. Yes, he chose self-preservation, but that's not the end of Peter's story. Peter actually shines. Peter's life's journey shows up that, that redemption is possible. This is Peter pre-resurrection, having, having, having a, when, he, when he encounters Jesus, when he sees the resurrected Jesus, his perspective changes. Peter's 
reaction is he gets on fire. If you read the book of Acts, you will say, how did this guy go from denying Jesus to actually, at the end of his life, historically, we said Peter actually died like Jesus. If you get jammed up, call his name. My old pastor used to say, don't be ashamed to call his name. He always liked to rhyme, right? Some of you, as I was preparing this message this week, I thought it kept coming to me that someone in here needs to hear this. Some of you are going through some hard seasons right now where you're tempted to, not, to deny. Um, some of you are having, you're struggling to hold on to faith. Some of you, for some of you, Jesus' timing isn't the best timing. You're lonely in life right now. And you've drifted into bad habits. Habits that you said you wouldn't ever pick back up. And some of you, while you're actually involved in your bad habits of denying the power of Jesus, you're trying to save yourself and do things on your own, you can hear the metaphorical rooster crowing. Jesus is saying, despite your denial, you can still come back. If you look at Peter, clear and presently denying Jesus, and Jesus still uses him, he can use you because you have come to realize and have seen not only know Jesus, but you believe that he did rise. And he is your substitute. Someone in here, Jesus is calling you back. Maybe you're at the edge. You're saying, man, I don't know if I can go with this Christian thing anymore. I don't know if I can take much more of this season of life. I'm tempted to put away these things and walk in my own strength. Perhaps to cut off the metaphorical ears of the enemies that are coming because I want to do it myself. In the face of death, Jesus is our substitute a willing substitute who will never allow us to be lost. When I was in seminary, there was a, there was a, there was a uh, missionary who came to talk to us as they came from all over the world. I'm not going to mention where he came from, but it was kind of a, a, a tense situation. He said, I went to this country, I haven't studied for years, and I knew this is the country that I think God had sent me to, and he went. In this country, periodically, I don't know if it was a holiday or the weekends or whatever, Everyone had to come out certain days of the year and bow down to the statue of the political leader of that country. And there were some missionaries there who did just that. Maybe you didn't hear me. Some missionaries bow down to the statue of the political leader in order to self-preserve their ministry. Uh-oh. I feel like I'm on your couch, but you're not getting it. <laughs> He's standing there all of his life. He has prepared to go to this country to reach these people for Jesus. And now all of a sudden, he's faced with another problem. If he doesn't bow down to this statue of this political leader, all his dreams, whatever he had for this people, are cut off, and he's going to be tossed out of the country or tossed in jail. What do you do? What do you do? Well, he was in Massachusetts with me, so I'll tell you what he did. 
he didn't bow down because he knew the cup that God has given him maybe is not the cup that he wanted. He wanted to be a missionary in that country. His hopes and dreams were dashed. For some of you, the cup that God has prepared for you, you don't really want because you have other plans. You, 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 your, your, your plans are really self-preservation. You want to be brave. You say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep going for Jesus. But in a sense, Jesus hasn't called you to do certain things. He has another cup for you, has another path for you that's actually way better than the one that you have for yourself. Jesus is calling you back. Do a reassessment. Peter, here's your moment. Even if you flop, he still got you. They will still name kids after you. <laughs> if you are jammed up, if you're in a situation where you're jammed up today, call his name because he is faithful and just to forgive. Jesus knows every one of us. He not, he's not shying away from authority. He's, he's willing to jump into your fight and actually take on the forces that are coming against you. Don't worry. You don't need to pick up the knives. He is our substitute. If you get jammed up this week, remember to call his name. Remember to call his name. Remember to call his name. His name is above all names. His name will bring you to places that you never dreamed of. But you may have to pass through some tough things. Amen? bow your heads. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your grace. I'm not sure who is here this morning who needed to hear, maybe in a jam this morning, wanting to, to compromise. Would you lift them up? Would you bring them up and say, I got you, son. I got you, daughter. I have you. You are my child. I have something better than you think for you, than you think for yourself. Lord, would you cement these words into the hearts of these people? I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.